Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Halloween celebration turns deadly. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka on this Monday, October 30th. Glad you could join us. Here's what we have for you this hour. Two people have been killed, including a 14-year-old after a shooting broke out among holiday partiers in Tampa, Florida. The United Nations is warning that civil order is starting to break down in Gaza as the conflict between Israel and Hamas enters week four. A judge has reinstated a gag order on Donald Trump in his federal election case. And the argument that we need to tip more, not less. Everybody is kind of fed up and frustrated with the idea that everybody's getting tipped. I mean, it's it's a lot about these payment screens. You know, when you somebody said to me, you buy a candy bar at your you know local corner deli or grocery store, and they flip around and suddenly a $1.79 candy bar, they want a dollar tip or whatever. Does that make sense? Charles Passy at MarketWatch on why we're sick and tired of tipping requests, yet need to tip more. Police in Tampa, Florida have arrested a man suspected of killing two people in gun violence that erupted in the early morning hours of Sunday. It happened in the historic neighborhood of Ybor City, around an area of bars and clubs as people celebrate Halloween. More than a dozen others were injured, 15 of them by gunshot. Tampa Police Chief Lee Burkaw. The tragedy is that we have two, two deceased and, and up to 18 other victims. And I just ask that everybody look at the victims and realize what happened here and know that it's unacceptable. And if there's any motivation for somebody to provide us a tip, let that be the motivation. We need to hold those accountable that were involved. 22-year-old Tyrell Phillips was charged with second-degree murder in the shooting deaths of a 14-year-old boy and a 20-year-old man during the fight. Police say while one suspect turned himself in, they're seeking a second person. Videos on social media showed police officers helping people in costumes bleeding on sidewalks. The injured ranged in age from 18 to 27. Five remain in the hospital. As Israel expands ground operations in Gaza to root out Hamas, it now says it has struck over 600 militant targets over the past few days. The Israeli military says its troops have killed dozens of terrorists who barricaded themselves in buildings and tunnels. Palestinians in Gaza reported fierce air and artillery strikes earlier today as the conflict enters its fourth week. Israel released images of battle tanks on the west coast of Gaza, signaling a potential effort to surround Gaza's main city two days after the Israeli government ordered expanded ground incursions. 36-year-old Aboud Okal is one of hundreds of Americans still trapped inside Gaza, along with his wife and young son. Aside from uh, trying to keep up uh, or keep our families safe, we've been slowly reaching a point where resources have become extremely limited. Meanwhile, the United Nations says there are signs civil order is starting to break down in Gaza, reporting that thousands of desperate Palestinians are taking basic items like flour and hygiene supplies from warehouses. A federal judge has reinstated a gag, uh, gag order she imposed on Donald Trump in the case accusing him of trying to overturn his loss in the 2020 election. Yesterday's decision by U.S. District Judge Tanya Chukton denies his bid for a pending appeal, or denies his bid for a stay, rather, pending appeal. More from this morning's Mike Gavin. The order prohibited Trump from targeting the special counsel prosecuting his case or witnesses who might be called to testify. The judge had temporarily lifted the gag order 10 days ago after Trump's lawyers appealed. 
She reversed that decision last evening. Trump in the past has called special counsel Jack Smith a deranged lunatic and a thug, among other insults. In a post on Truth Social, Trump wrote, The corrupt Biden administration just took away my First Amendment right to free speech. Gordon. Thank you, Mike. Trump is facing four criminal cases and has made disparaging comments about prosecutors in each of them. He's pleaded not guilty to charges that he plotted to interfere unlawfully in the counting of votes and blocked the congressional certification of his 2020 loss. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com slash welcome to now. That's dell.com slash welcome to now. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Monday. Gas prices continue to fall even as the Israel-Hamas war escalates. The average price for a gallon of regular gas in the U.S. is three forty-nine this morning down 53 cents from a month ago, according to AAA. Meanwhile, if you think President Biden doesn't care about gasoline prices, you haven't been following his Venezuela policy. With little fanfare, the Biden administration 12 days ago eased sanctions on Venezuela's oil sector. More from Rick Newman, senior columnist at Yahoo Finance. Rick, take us through it. I think the whole everybody in the Biden administration has um, gas price PTSD from when gasoline prices hit $5 a gallon in uh, in 2022, uh, that, uh, you know, rising inflation and, um, you know, symbolized by rising gasoline prices, clearly the biggest factor affecting Biden's popularity as president. And, he, you know, his popularity is low. He's, his approval rating is only around 40 percent. Inflation is the reason. And gasoline inflation is the most visible representation of rising prices. So uh, the Biden uh, and his advisors learned that they need to keep gasoline prices under control uh, for Biden to have a good shot at re-election next year. What does under control mean? I would I would say uh, the gas prices need to be well under four dollars a gallon. Um, that's that's clearly a pain point for drivers and even for people who don't drive. They see that price advertised everywhere. So how is Biden doing that? Um, he's doing it in a couple of very sly ways. What, one thing he is not doing is um, doing anything that would get American energy firms to drill more because there's just not a simple way that Biden can do that. He can ask, uh, which he has, but it doesn't work because the president doesn't control the energy sector in the United States as it does in Saudi Arabia, for example. Uh, private companies decide whether to drill more or not, and um, they're very cautious, as you and I have discussed before, Gordon. So. Biden is going around the world and his team is going around the world saying, who might be able to put a little bit more oil on the market in 2024? And guess who they just uh, put the finger on? Venezuela. Hmm. Uh, so Venezuela has uh, the largest proven oil reserves in the world, but the economy is such a wreck that it, is, it has really become kind of a rump uh, oil providers. Uh, so Biden administration recently eased some sanctions on Venezuela that have been in place for a long time relating to the uh, repressive socialist government there. And they said, you know, if we see evidence that maybe they're going to have um, cleaner elections in 2024, uh, we will ease up on um, sanctions that affect the oil industry there, which basically means Venezuela will be able to export more oil to global markets and export more oil to the United States. 
Now, it's not a lot of oil we're talking about here, and energy analysts are kind of scratching their heads saying, is this really worth it? Because um, it's not like Venezuela is going to, you know, increase global supplies by 5% or something like that. It would be well under 1%. But I think the fact that the Biden White House is doing this tells you they're trying every possible thing they can think of to get um, to, to get gasoline prices down in 2024. Mm. We're speaking with Rick Newman, senior columnist at Yahoo Finance. His piece is called Biden's Risky <laughs> Scramble to Keep Gas Prices Down. Does this mean then that the Biden administration is willingly supporting a dictator in the name of re-election? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe it does. And uh, there, there is some political risk to this. Uh, and in fact, on cue... Uh, when the Biden White House did say, okay, we're going to give this a shot, ease sanctions on Venezuela. Now, they are tying this to a more open election there in 2024. Immediately, you had some Republicans saying, why are we coddling a dictator to get more oil on the market? Why don't we just uh, produce more oil at home? Easier said than done, you know, as we just discussed. Um, the president doesn't get to uh, ter- you know, open or close the U.S. oil spigot uh, because it's controlled by private firms who decide what to drill based on how uh, profitable it's going to be for them. Uh, but um, Biden can change. So they've eased sanctions on Venezuela. They can go back to the way it was and they can cancel that and just reimpose the sanctions in 2024. And my best guess is that what they're really going to be paying attention to is not so much how open the uh, upcoming election is in Venezuela next year, but what's the price of oil? Yeah. Um, if it's uh, if it's if it's on the way down and it looks like it's going to stay there, uh, they might say we don't need Venezuela after all. We're putting these sanctions back in place. But if it's around where it is now, you know, uh, eighty-five dollars a barrel, ninety dollars a barrel, they might say we just want to keep that Venezuelan oil flowing. There aren't really any other options, right? I mean, there was, I guess, Saudi Arabia at one time. That doesn't seem to be working out. Russia, we don't really want to do much with. Uh, it's a very interesting question. Are there things the Biden administration can do to get more oil on the market in a re-election year? Thanks, Rick. Rick Newman, senior columnist at Yahoo Finance. 20 minutes now after the hour on This Morning. Here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Israeli soldiers pushed at least two miles deep into the Gaza Strip and moves analysts say seem designed to trap Hamas in the enclaves north. Soldiers and tanks appeared to be taking up positions deep inside Gaza after Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said the country was entering a new phase of the war. At the same time, Israel faces pressure from the U.S. and other Western countries to minimize civilian casualties, which are mounting. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on ABC. Those people did not deserve to die. Those people uh, deserve to live lives of peace and safety and dignity. At the same time, it is absolutely true that Hamas is doing everything in its power to put those people in harm's way. Some evidence of Israel responding to U.S. pressure could be seen yesterday when Israeli authorities restored internet and phone communications. Number two. Residents of Lewiston returned to work and school today after coming together to mourn those lost last week in Maine's worst mass shooting. They gathered Sunday evening seeking guidance from religious leaders who talked of hope, healing, and the power of prayer. Rabbi Shirley Dresner of Temple Shalom in Auburn. Let us not shy away from that pain, but look it squarely in the eye. Let us remember this pain and let us accept the grave responsibility God has just given to us. More than 1,000 people attended the vigil in Lewiston where days earlier a gunman fatally shot 18 people. 
number three. A federal judge late Sunday reinstated a gag order barring Donald Trump from publicly criticizing prosecutors, potential witnesses, and court staff involved in the criminal case charging him with conspiring to overturn the 2020 election. With a ruling from Judge Tanya Chutkin, the gag order returns to effect and raises the specter of sanctions for Trump if he's found to violate its terms. The Wall Street Journal says the University of Michigan has rescinded a new contract offer for a head football coach, Jim Harbaugh, in the wake of a sign-stealing scandal that has rocked one of the favorites to play for college football's national championship. The move is the first sign that the school may be hesitant about its future relationship with Harbaugh. Michigan recently made an offer that would have made Harbaugh the highest-paid coach in the Big Ten before the school pulled it. Oh, all right. Thank you, Jen. Aging is a journey that can gather some unwanted passengers, namely those senescent or zombie cells. Hi, it's Gordon Deal, and I used to feel that sluggish middle-age mood, those aches after workouts. I could practically feel those old cells just taking up space, bogging me down. Then I found Qualia Senolytic. Think of it as giving your body a little spring cleaning, pruning away the worn-out cells, and letting the lively ones shine. And you only take it two days a month. Crafted with vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO ingredients. Plus, with a 100-day money-back guarantee, you've got a risk-free journey to rejuvenation. Resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com Gordon for up to $100 off and use code Gordon at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com Gordon for an extra 15% off. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's show neurohacker.com slash Gordon. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Monday. Americans are feeling what's called tipping fatigue. We get asked extra for cash, it seems, during almost every transaction, even when little effort is required by the employee. So does that sandwich handler really deserve your dollar? Charles Passy at MarketWatch argues yes. Charles, explain how this came up. So I'm, I'm, I have a weekly pinball night, if you can imagine, with a group of guys. Uh, we're playing at a bar, and it's kind of a friendly competition, and the machine keeps breaking down. And, um, you know, we call over a guy. I mean, this guy on the bar is doing everything. He's, he's pouring drinks. He's cleaning tables. He's doing, uh, you know, he's sweeping the floor. And we keep going, can you fix the machine? Um, and, and, he, and twice during the evening, he stopped everything and really was very kind and just kind of got, got things working again. And, you know, I said to the group, I said, yeah, we should tip him something. I mean, you know, poor guy is like working his tail off or whatever. And all of a sudden I got this like, no, he's doing his job. Why do we have to tip him? And it, to <laughs> me, it, by the way, I did get everybody to chip in two bucks and we tipped them $10. So anyhow, but to me, it kind of crystallized the moment where we're at right now, which is kind of an anti-tipping moment because, you know, everybody is kind of, fed up and frustrated with the idea that everybody's getting tipped. I mean, it's it's a lot about these payment screens. You know, when you when you you know, as somebody said to me, you buy a candy bar at your you know local you know corner deli or grocery store, and they flip around and suddenly a dollar seventy nine candy bar, they want a dollar tip or whatever. Does that make sense or whatever? And there's there's good stats to to back this up. Sixty six percent of American adults have a negative view of tipping right now. That was a a bank rate survey from this year. So. We have this kind of really baked in idea that I'm tired of tipping. And yet I'm thinking, let's think twice about that. And, and so the counter argument here, I presume, is why is it up to us to have to make up the difference for a low paid employee? Right. And I mean, so you're making the case here. What's your counter argument? Well, my counter argument is like 
first of all, if we end up putting the onus on the employee, don't think we won't pay in the end. All that will mean is that prices will go up. And then Americans get you know, all antsy about that, especially in a time of high inflation. In fact, there was a very prominent New York restaurateur, Danny Meyer, who kind of sort of led this let's do away with tipping movement. It was in New York City restaurants. He sort of started it, but there yeah. were others who jumped on the bandwagon. And it ultimately failed because basically when he raised, he, he runs high-end restaurants. So when that $30 piece of chicken became a $36 piece of chicken, nobody wanted to pay more. They preferred the old method in which they, you know, essentially pay less and then the tip sh tipping is up to them. We're speaking with Charles Passy. He's written an opinion piece for Market Watch called Americans are sick and tired of tipping. Here's why we need to tip more, not less. Uh, there's a generational component to this too, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Um, old, older Americans, uh, they do not like to tip. They don't like these payment screens. They don't like this, this idea that everybody deserves uh, something a little extra. There was a survey done that said um, by Bento Box, which is a restaurant company, and it said 41% of baby boomers say they don't tip for, um, they don't typically tip for coffee ordered at a cafe, like a Starbucks situation. Only 18% of Gen Zers said they don't tip. So clearly the younger generation, and I would argue it's a generation that's kind of come up and seen how difficult the economy is yeah, for service yeah. workers. Younger people seem to, to get it and have less objections. I'll be very honest, my own children, two children who are in their 20s and 30s, you know, they totally are, are on the tipping uh, bandwagon. So um, it's taken me a while, but I am on it now, too. Thanks, Charles. Charles Passy, reporter at Market Watch. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com slash welcome to now. That's dell.com slash welcome to now. Cutting through the clutter to bring you the people and stories that matter to you. You're listening to America's First News this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Monday, October 30th. Gordon Deal, Jennifer Koshenka. Some of our top stories and headlines. Two people dead, including a 14-year-old during a shooting at Halloween festivities in Tampa. Israeli ground forces pushed deeper into Gaza. The AP says a statewide awareness alert was issued last month to law enforcement in Maine before a gunman killed 18 people last week in Lewiston. A former NHL player has died after his neck was slashed by a skate during a game Saturday in England. World Series Game 3 tonight and how a blind dog was reunited with his family after three days. That story in about 20 minutes. As you may know, pharmacists take an oath to hold patient safety in the highest regard when preparing and dispensing medication. But rising pressures inside the nation's largest retail chains have forced pharmacists to choose between that oath and their job. Emily Lacaz, senior investigative reporter at USA Today, says the situation was bad before the pandemic. COVID made it worse. Emily, what have you found? Yeah, so even before the pandemic, pharmacists had been complaining for years about shrinking resources, staff cuts within uh, chain pharmacies in particular, 
combined with added demands um, made of pharmacists, you know, like 15, 20 years ago, pharmacists were not giving out vaccinations. They were not making these very in-depth patient, patient consultation calls. They were not doing rapid tests. They're doing all of that in addition to filling and verifying prescriptions, but with far less help and staff. So previously, you might have had two pharmacists and maybe six pharmacy technicians filling prescriptions. Uh, fast forward, you have half that. Maybe one pharmacist working alone with a hand, you know, two or three technicians filling prescriptions, giving shots, doing rapid tests, answering the phones. And these companies have all kinds of metrics in place to measure them on how fast they go and how much volume they do. And so the pandemic really exacerbated that situation. It just put it into overdrive and it hasn't been fixed. Boy. It hasn't been fixed since. So they're very frustrated and rightly concerned about patient safety in that kind of an environment. Explain uh, too how this kind of bumps up with the oath they've taken versus, you know, maybe a threat of losing their job if they don't meet certain numbers. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, pharmacists are healthcare professionals. They take an oath similar to those taken by um, other people in the healthcare field that really puts the emphasis on patient safety. They, um, they take an oath to uphold patient safety. That is their first um, and highest mission. And yet the conditions under which they are pressured to work are the antithesis of caring for patients and keep keeping patients front and center. Um, what I've heard and seen from the documents they have shared is a corporate culture that places a emphasis on profits and volume. And pharmacists are pressured to hit uh, targets and quotas on how many vaccinations they give, how many store memberships they sell, how many phone calls they make, and how many people they are able to convince um, to join certain programs. They are threatened with uh, termination, uh, write-ups, discipline, and other measures if they fail to meet these targets. And so most of them feel like um, their job is at stake and have told me it's, it's impossible to do everything that I'm supposed to do and keep the patient safe. It's one or the other. Boy. We're speaking with Emily Lacaze, senior investigative reporter at USA Today. Her story is called Prescription for Disaster, America's Broken Pharmacy System in Revolt Over Burnout and Errors. What do any kind of regulatory bodies say here, if anything? Regulatory bodies for years have considered these complaints um, from pharmacists, and they have been complaining to their boards for years more business issues um, and really not under their purview. Boards of pharmacy, um, their core mission is to protect consumers, to protect the public, not to protect pharmacists. And so for a long time, they heard these complaints about metrics and short staffing and considered them, again, outside their purview. This, this has nothing to do with the public. But recently, they have started to um, take those concerns to heart and, and draw the connection between those uh, working conditions and the effect on on the public, in um, is because the the heightened risk for errors. And so, we have seen now state boards of pharmacy starting to pass or propose regulations that do require minimum staffing levels, for example, okay. or ban these pharmacy chains from pushing metrics onto their staff. Boy, so are are we as patients here seeing our safety jeopardized or compromised? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we really are. Fortunately, errors are and do remain 
somewhat rare, although there is zero public data out there to prove one way or the other, um, which is another problem that we're dealing with. But errors certainly can happen. And so a lot of the pharmacists I spoke to said, you know, we're, we're really trying our best, but in these kind of situations, um, you know, errors definitely are a risk. So please do check your prescription when you pick it up. Thanks, Emily. Emily Lacaz, Senior Investigative Reporter at USA Today. Coming up next, why Arizona should get no home games during the World Series. Today's mic drop is brought to you by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Monday. It is time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, the World Series moves from Texas to Arizona, starting with tonight's Game 3, and that might be a good thing for fans who might need to digest after forking over a ton of dough for a ton of food during the first two games. The Rangers are making news for a $250 meal that they're selling at Globe Life Field throughout the World Series. Now, to be fair, it's a meal fit for a small group, not just one person. It consists of a set of three 24-inch sandwiches, and we're not talking about bologna and cheese here. Leading off is the three-strike lobster roll, featuring lobster and beef tenderloin, served on a soft red-colored bun. Then there's the Boomstick Burger, which is a two-foot-long beef patty covered in nacho cheese, chili, jalapeno, and onion rings. Rounding out the set is a two-foot-long boomstick hot dog covered in nacho cheese, chili jalapenos, and caramelized onions. It also comes with a souvenir mini helmet. It's the most expensive concession item in Rangers history, and the team says there's only 10 available at each game. Wow. That's why I said in my tease yes. leading into your segment right. that Phoenix or the, the Arizona Diamondbacks right, should right, right. not have any home games unless they can match yeah, what they're serving in Arlington. That is a reason to keep all the World Series games in Arlington. Yeah, the game is not only on the field, but it's also up in the stands, <laughs> at the concession stands. That said, I'd like to see more than 10 served per game. Yeah, it's, yeah, it seems like they should be able to do better than that, but I yeah. think they're also thinking that there's not going to be a huge demand for yeah. $250 meals, yeah. well, 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 most likely. Well, you got to find like a small group of people right, yeah. to eat it. So if you only go with... A group of two. Yeah, yeah. And you got to find eight others to maybe, uh, yeah. you know, eat this sandwich. But that's that's some good selections right there yeah. by folks on Arlington. Ag- agreed. If, if we could gather together a, a, a team of some sort, I think yeah. that you and I would definitely go in on that. Lobster and beef tenderloin <laughs> yeah. on that sandwich. Yeah. Wow. Let's do it. And uh, it's prime time for spooky Halloween decorations to be mistaken for real dead humans. And we have a very bizarre one to add to that list. Authorities in Washington state fell victim to a Halloween prank after they responded to a call about a human skeleton only to find out it was a skull-shaped beer bong. Authorities responded to a report of human remains spotted by paddleboarders inside of a cave on a river near the Canadian border last week. A wildlife officer dove down to get a closer look with a pair of goggles loaned from a local boater, only to discover, fortunately, that he had been duped. The remains ended up being nothing more than a plastic skull beer bong that a prankster had stuffed full of rocks to look like a skeleton. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the spine was like the giant straw right. that you drink your beer out of. You, uh, yeah. you pour it into the skull and then drink it out of the spine, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess, I wonder if this happens any other time of the year, but it seems like during <laughs> Halloween time, yeah. I, mean, I guess maybe because we just have the decorations laying around, or maybe it's, you know, maybe the uh, the skeleton beer bong goes in the closet until mm. October, right? Maybe yeah. you're not you're using that, uh, you know, 12 months of the year, and that's how it becomes uh, becomes something that you know, dupes people into thinking that yeah. there's problems. I don't, I don't want to up the game too much, Yeah, but do we have to limit it to a beer bong? 
What do you mean? You get like a bottle of Tito's. Okay, sure, like yeah. Dump vodka down oh, there. Oh, I, no? I understand. You feel me? Yeah, I know you're not really a beer guy these oh, days. You know what happens? So, sure. You know what happens when we start, you know, doing the vodka like that. The party really amps up now. Uh, yeah, I think you're not even going to make it to the lake. When I don't you, think <laughs> to throw that thing in there. <laughs> when your beer bong becomes a vodka bong. Thanks, Mike. Hey there, Gordon Deal here, and everyone knows the best part of fall is the food. I found a new way to embrace the season. Hello Fresh Markets, limited time fall flavors. Let me tell you about their apple cider cake with caramel sauce. Man, so good. Are you looking for the perfect game night treat? Write this one down, barbecue pulled pork nachos. Speaking of which, I recently had the kids home from school, and HelloFresh not only saved me time, but made me look like a pro chef. Using farm fresh ingredients, you're going to get the flavors of fall in every bite. And trust me, you don't want to miss out on the mini pumpkin cheesecake. It's perfect for a me-time treat. Want to give it a shot? Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon and use code 50Gordon for 50% off plus free shipping. That's right, 50% off plus free shipping at HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon with code 50Gordon. HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon with code 50 Gordon. We don't take sides. We deliver the information you need to start your day. You're listening to America's First News this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Nowadays, credit card debt makes up almost a third of the total debt owed by an average household. So Money.com put together a list of signs that could indicate you're taking on debt too casually. Number one, turning small purchases into serious debt, frivolous expenses. Whether it's takeout for dinner or something you saw on TikTok shop might seem harmless enough, but when thoughtless purchases become a habit, they can add up quickly. Then you're just taking on interest for that dinner you had two weeks ago. Number two, using debt to pay off other debt. It's bad enough when you use a credit card to buy something you can't afford, but because you can still apply for new credit cards while you owe on current ones, that debt hole can get very deep. Eight minutes now in front of the hour on This Morning. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. In a phone conversation yesterday with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, President Biden pushed for increasing the flow of humanitarian aid to Gaza and said protection of civilians is a priority. In a post on X, Biden said he reiterated that Israel has every right to defend its citizens from terrorism and a responsibility to do so in a manner consistent with international humanitarian law, which prioritizes the protection of civilians. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told ABC the U.S. is prepared to support humanitarian pauses so hostages held by Hamas can be released safely. We will continue to talk to our Israeli counterparts. We'll continue to ask hard questions about uh, how they are thinking this through, how they are proceeding. The death toll among Palestinians has passed 8,000, mostly women and children. 1,400 people have died on the Israeli side. Number two. Just days after the country's deadliest mass shooting this year, the nation suffered a series of shootings over the Halloween weekend that left at least eight people dead and wounded dozens across multiple cities. In Indianapolis, a Halloween party ended with one person killed and nine others injured. In Tampa, a dispute between two groups erupted in gunfire as hundreds of people were filing out of bars and nightclubs early yesterday. That shooting left two people dead and 16 injured. Tampa Mayor Jane Castor. We as a country have got to make decisions. The vast majority of Americans support responsible firearm ownership 
They also support reasonable regulations. At least 15 people were shot early Sunday on Chicago's west side at an event described as a large Halloween party. Number three. The exact cause of actor Matthew Perry's death at his residence Saturday will require additional investigative steps by the Los Angeles County Medical Examiner's Office before reaching a conclusion. The 54-year-old star of Friends was found unresponsive in his hot tub. Perry suffered from decades of addiction. Russell in the pocket, floats one in the back of the end zone. He's got Judy. Judy runs underneath the touchdown. Denver slams the football on the east sideline barrier. The call on this morning affiliate KOA is the Broncos went on to stun the Chiefs 24-9 yesterday. The win snapped Denver's 16-game losing streak to Kansas City. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes battled the flu and winter weather going 24-38 of 38 for 241 yards and two interceptions. He was sacked three times. What happened there? Uh, <laughs> you people that bet on games? Uh-huh. Just going to say, hmm. trying to pick games is ridiculous. Thanks for joining us. After missing for three days, an old blind Labrador retriever has been reunited with its family thanks to a drone. Molly, the 11-year-old lab, had disappeared from her home in the UK, leading the family to believe she might have died. But the pup's family called the search and rescue team. SWNS says the UK-based charity Drone to Home responded to the call. In only two hours, the search and rescue team was able to locate Molly. CEO Phil James, chief drone operator says his rescue charity is dedicated to reuniting furry friends with their family members. He told SWNS that to date, they've reunited nearly 2,500 dogs, three ponies, nine cows, an emu, and a skunk. For Jennifer Koshenka and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.